0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast day here in the Capitol. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Tony Wilson, Director of the Institute for Employment Studies and Independent Apolitical International Centre of Research and Consultancy in Public Employment Policy and Organizational Human Resource Issues. Tony, hello.
1: Hi, good morning, Matthew.
0: Good morning. Thank you for coming on the program today. Uh, that's quite a that's quite a mouthful. I'm very interested to hear <laughs> what you're actually up to. Uh but before we get to that and before we get to the subject of leadership, we obviously have to touch on the ongoing COVID nineteen outbreak. Uh how has this affected the way that you run your business?
1: Well, we've been significantly affected as um as most organizations have, I think. So so our work involves a lot of research and consulting and analysis for a range of public and private clients and so understandably. Um that's been significantly disrupted. But I think now as we get you know, as we're starting to sort of get through it, we're all getting used to working from home and working remotely and um and managing around our children and other commitments. So um so things are starting to get a bit more back to if not back to normal then at least um, at least better than they were, I think.
0: Have you initiated any studies to study the effect of uh, the uh quarantining measures?
1: Yeah, so Really, most of the last three months for us has been has been almost entirely dominated by trying to understand the impacts that the crisis are having on the labour market here in the UK, um, the impact it's having for employers, and then to try to help government and organisations to respond. So we've been focusing on a few main areas, three main areas, really. Firstly is kind of analysing and understanding what's happening in the crisis. So looking at trends in unemployment, And in vacancies, where we've been analyzing real time data, vacancy data, um, and online job adverts, for example, and looking at very local levels about how the um, crisis is impacting different parts of the country and different groups of people differently. Then the second area we've been looking at has been really around the public policy response. So what measures does governments, different governments, levels of government need to put in place to respond both to the immediate crisis, but also the longer term challenges we'll face with sort of restructuring. And then the third big area of work for us has been more around how we can support HR professionals really and um, and and businesses to um, to uh, to adapt and to respond to react to the crisis respond and then kind of and then and then grow in the future
0: Where would you say the worst hit area of the country uh, for uh, your particular field of research is
1: mm. well there's two ways to look at this so firstly we've got the areas that have seen the largest rises in unemployment and those have typically been areas that have been more disadvantaged before the crisis, actually. So the northeast of England, ex-industrial areas, um, the central belts of Scotland, for example, the Welsh Valleys, those areas have all seen really significant rises in unemployment, as have areas that are particularly reliant on sectors that have been most affected, like hospitality. So that's brought in quite a few coastal towns as well, um, places that have a strong visitor economy or hospitality economy. But then the second way to look at it is where has seen the biggest... um, collapse in demand or falls in vacancies um, and actually that's been vacancies have fallen the most in often in more prosperous areas with larger private sectors so london for example within huge falls in them um, in job openings but when you put that together kind of unemployment and vacancies the areas that really stand out are three three areas it's ex-industrial communities it's inner cities and it's coastal towns and these are places that have had long-standing challenges particularly um the ex-industrial and coastal areas that, that really predate the crisis and the crisis has magnified and and amplify those, I think.
0: Mm, absolutely. Well, we might as well move on to the subject of leadership. I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question. What does the word leader mean to you?
1: Well, that's a good, that's a good question. So so I, I I think leadership is about being able to set a really clear vision for, for, for where you want to go and where you want to take your people and, and lead your organization, and then being able to be authentic in, in, um, in trying to achieve that make progress towards that, you know, both in, in the actions that you do and in how you actually, you know, lead, lead your people. I mean, the one lesson I've taken from the best leaders that I've had has been, has also been about trust and it's been about working with people and empowering people and trying to make sure that you're, that you're building a, a team that can, um, that, that you can trust and that can trust you and that you can, you know, you can work with, um, work, work with well. It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, I think, um, I, I think certainly at, at the moment we're facing, we're facing a crisis of leadership as a as a country, um, and in many of you know many sort of field, fields of our work. So I think it's a you know it's an really important area for us to be thinking about and focusing on.
0: Now, of course, uh, leadership takes very different uh, forms and different people. How does it manifest in you? What is your model?
1: Well, I think it's uh, it's things I've. I've just mentioned really, I think I mean I mean for me, I've always felt that it's important to be able to to articulate where it is that I want the organization the organizations that I've worked in to be the sorts of values in particular that I want us to have and 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 to be able to try to live um and then as part of that, as I say, it's been always been about trying to lead that by example um to build a a good team around me that can that can support me and work with me, and then to um to try to make sure that I'm role modeling the sorts of behaviors the sorts of values and the sorts of practices that that I hope other that I hope people would um would do you know in, in in working for me. I think it's fair to say I think probably the biggest criticism that people have had of me as a leader is that I can be sometimes a bit too hands on in wanting to mm-hmm. sort of do things myself i mean as a as a leader of a research center inevitably um i find myself in this position because i really enjoy and care about the areas that i research and the research that i do so it's always been important for me to still be doing research and still be active in in that work and and doing the sort of the the policy and the consulting and the analysis myself so i think the, the biggest challenge has also been getting that balance right between empowering others and leading others but then also wanting to wanting to do um to do things myself and continue to keep my eye in as it were and continue to um Continue to do the work. So yeah, so I think it's you know it's trying to set that vision for the organisation, talk about the value, you know, be really clear about the values and how we should treat each other and how it should work, and then trying to lead by example.
0: Did you have any role models who shaped the way that you look at working life?
1: Oh sure, yeah, I've been I've been very lucky to have worked with some some really great people over the years. I mean the one that the one that has always stood out for me um, is Sharon White, who's now um, the chair of the John Lewis Partnership. And I was lucky enough to work with Sharon for a number of years when I was in government in the Department of Work and Pension. Um so and 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 Sharon I think was was and is I'm sure still is an an exceptional leader. You know, she had great um qualities of um of, of being really clear and decisive about, you know, what she wanted and how she wanted her um uh what she wanted to achieve for the organisation. We what what um what um she wanted how she wanted the team to work and what she wanted to be able to do. But it was in very trusting and supportive of her staff too and I think worked in a really um collaborative and engaging and, and supportive way. I certainly say Sharon's best I but also very lucky I think over the years working in central government in particular and working close to a few secretaries of state that you that you learn quite a lot about um about leadership qualities from from you know, people, people like that, from politicians who are trying to juggle really, you know, really huge competing priorities. I think between them, between their sort of political priorities and um, the organisational ones are trying to lead complex organisations, and then clearly also trying to be part of a cabinet that's trying to run the country. So, yeah, I've been I've been really lucky, I think, over the years to have, to have had a lot of different um, leaders and um, and, um, uh, and and people that I've been able to sort of learn from and look up to.
0: Now, unfortunately, our uh, time has run through. Um, But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for the Institute for Employment Studies?
1: Well, I think, who knows what the next 12 months will hold. I think we're likely to be busier than we've ever been um, uh, on the work that we do around the labour market and employment because I think in 12 months' time, the only thing that really in public policy that people will be talking about is how we're recovering from this crisis and in particular the impacts for the long-term unemployed and long-term unemployment. So um, for the next the next 12 months will be us working, working I think, a lot with government and with employers to try to help them to deal with the, with the consequences of this crisis. Hopefully by then we'll have mm-hmm. suppressed the virus, and we'll be through the pandemic, but I do think this is something we'll be living with for some years, actually, how we, um, how we get back to normal or back mm. to the new normal, as it were, in the future.
0: Well, Tony, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, and we'll have to have you back on the show when things get back to a more even keel uh, to hear a bit more about your work and uh, for you to check in. Tony, thank you. Thanks, Matthew. That was Tony Wilson, Director of the Institute for Employment Studies. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is my exclusive interview with our chairman,
2: Normality. So it's have confidence and courage. Obviously, take advantage as far as you can of the government help. I think that Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, has gone about as far as you could have expected mm-hmm. in the circumstances. There are obviously small businesses that fall between the cracks. Those who uh, don't have um, declined premises, can't benefit from the business rate waiver, uh, have not really been able to demonstrate that they can. Uh, adhere to the PAYE for furloughing staff and of course whether they can receive the the grant 10,000 or 25,000 all all of those who can uh, are obviously able at least to benefit from that for the time being and look to the future but I think the second thing to say and they don't need me to tell them this as a politician who, who did once do a business studies qualification which is that it will be a different world. And being able Mm. to think about how that world will look in a year's time and be creative about it and learn from not just what's happening to you at this moment in time, but to others around you and the sector that you're working in, that will be really important.
0: Do you feel that the long-term effects of uh, the COVID-19 outbreak uh, will in some ways be positive uh, for British industry? and you're absolutely right in a in a liberal uh democracy that we live in it's it's very difficult for people to swallow orders given to them from government um
2: well the the UK and um and the US and to some extent uh, the Scandinavian countries have a very different hi- interest uh, history and and therefore interest in maintaining the freedom to decide and the persuasion and mm. consent that's required has gone over the top. And that in itself is a constraint and uh, a readjustment. That That's another strength of um, living in a country where you can have opinions and express them without actually being thought to be a fool.
0: Now, of course, uh, the government has faced criticism uh, that they were slow to react. Uh, and Boris Johnson wasn't present at the early COVID-19 COBRA meetings. Now, uh, Number 10 has claimed that this is normal practice. Uh, the health secretary often chairs corporate meetings uh, related to health. Uh, Does this tally with your experience as a Secretary of State, or would you have expected the PM uh, to be more hands-on during the initial stages?
2: I think different prime ministers do have a very different style. And Boris's style, which I think will now be considerably adjusted, was very swashbuckling. In some senses, delegating is a good thing, uh, as every leader of every business or public service knows, those who try to pull too much into themselves end up with a massive bottleneck, a great uh, failure of trust and the inability of people to show what they're worth and to to demonstrate their capability. So I'd be very wary of jumping in and saying he was wrong to delegate the essential Cobra meetings what I was surprised about was that he didn't um, chair the first couple because Mm -hmm. my experience with Tony Blair for the eight years I was in cabinet was that Tony was a great delegator but he would get a grip to begin with watch what the difficulties were and then give people direction and confidence to be able to get on with it so looking back I think Boris himself probably thinks god I Wish I'd spotted the signals from elsewhere in the world more rapidly, and I'd just been there. However, this also raises another issue. All of us in positions of leadership need good teams around us. Mm -hmm. I think after this is over, he will be assessing those who really did step up and those who demonstrated their inadequacy. I think we'll probably end up in a year's time with a much stronger cabinet than we have today.
0: Well, absolutely. And of course, uh, we've seen a, a significant uh, drop in the visibility of uh, certain special advisors like Dominic Cummings uh, during this uh, entire period. So it'd be interesting to see how that pans out. Um,
2: well, now- it's certainly readjusted the role of those behind the scenes with those who should be taking the decisions having received advice. Obviously, there's been a complete transformation in the profile of experts, if I might use that term, who'd previously been denigrated. Mm -hmm. Scientists, medics, people with behavioral science uh, understanding. My only criticism was, were we getting wide enough advice? Were we narrowing it too much to a couple of key centers in London? But that's because I've always been adverse to everything being London-centric. I think there's great expertise, wisdom, experience out in the sticks and uh, we should use it.
0: Uh, Rightly so. Um, Now, was pandemic planning part of your time as a minister, particularly perhaps uh, when you were Home Secretary?
2: Well, it was, but it was on the back of risk arising out of counter-terrorism measures. Uh, I was the Home Secretary for three months when the attack took place in September 2001 on the World Trade Center and beyond. We did an enormous amount of uh, scenario planning, both desktop and and real. On the back of that, but it was very heavily orientated to future developing terrorism risk. I certainly got involved with talking about pandemics. I remember being at a seminar in Edinburgh where the university there had done a lot of work itself on the issue of pandemics, and of course we we saw SARS and other things emerging. I, I think it would people criticize the government for not picking up the report from 2015, five years ago. I think that what happens is human nature kicks in. You deal with what you're immediately faced with. Mm. You you can you can sponsor reports. And this is true of business planning of course as well and scenario planning for what business continuity will look like, recovery plans for business, what will happen if um, there's a cyber attack, what happens if there's an energy sh- cut, uh, shut shutdown, um, these kind of things you, you can look at, but you're immediately turning your eyes to what's in front of you. And had we picked up a bit more on the danger from Ebola and SARS or what have you in the past, then we might have said, what if something hits us in the development? nations, that we don't have a vaccine for, Mm. that we can't immediately whisk up uh, protective materials or equipment or, for that matter, medicines that help with recovery, all of which we now see are a danger. I think this will make an enormous difference to the planning for for the years ahead. I hope it will be widened so that we don't just look at what's happened. But very rarely do you see something exactly repeat itself. Some of the circumstances will be, but others won't. So that's why I've put emphasis in what I talk about on looking at the other virus, the cyber attack uh, scenario, Mm -hmm. which could be just as dangerous in a a world of just-in-time provision. One of the miracles of uh, the modern developed world, except for the very poor, has been the distribution of food. A lot of it on computerized, uh, technologically advanced systems, if that were to come down, we'd be in real trouble. So I think we need to think those sort of scenarios as well.
0: So have a full plan across uh, both sectors, uh, biological warfare, pandemics, and uh, cyber warfare.
2: Yes, and to do so on different levels. I think, again, thinking of... Thinking global but acting local, we need a lot more to think about what would happen if something took shape that actually broke down those national and global chains and how we would cope. And without, uh, obviously, we've got enough fear and anxiety to last a lifetime without creating even more anxiety. We can think about those things for the future in a more rational way, I
0: think.